Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now and do good to your servants according to your word. Oh Lord, we pray that we would have ears to listen to what you have to say in your word this morning and apply it to our hearts and live for your glory. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through in earlier part of this year, Matthew chapter 3, and looking at the ministry of John the Baptist. And this morning we see that someone comes to John who is not like the rest of the people that have been coming. Uh, We have seen that large numbers of Israelites have been coming, including Pharisees and Sadducees, and John has had things to say to both groups about what they should do. And here this morning we see that the Lord Jesus himself comes and wants to be baptised by John. But this poses a particular problem. What's the problem? Well, John doesn't want to baptise Jesus. We read in verse 13, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John, but John tried to deter him. John tried to stop him from being baptised by himself. Now, why does John do this? Well, it's because John knows that he is inferior to Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that he has been proclaiming is one who is more powerful than him, as we looked at last time, whose sandals he is not worthy to carry. He is the one who will judge all the earth. How can John possibly be the one who would baptise the Lord Jesus? If anything, John says, I should be baptised by you, Jesus. We read that in verse 14. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? There's another problem as well when we consider Jesus being baptised by John. What is John's baptism for? It is for repentance. We saw that in verse 11. Verse 11 of John chapter 3 reads where John is speaking, and he says, I baptise you with water for repentance. Why is that a problem? Well, what is repentance? Repentance is a turning from sin to right, from turning from wrong to right, from turning from from unrighteousness to righteousness. Now, why is that a problem for Jesus? Well, he never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He was sinless. And so, therefore, there is no need for him to repent. If you don't do anything wrong, you don't need to turn from wrong if you're always going towards what is right. But what happens? Well, Jesus insists. Despite John being inferior to him, despite the fact that his baptism is a baptism of repentance, Jesus insists on being baptised and John consents. And we see that in verse 15. Verse 15, we read, Jesus replied, Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. John consents to baptising the Lord Jesus. Now, why does he consent to this? What has Jesus said to him that leads John to consent to it? Well, we read it in verse 15. Jesus says that his baptism is proper, is fitting to fulfil all righteousness. It seemed to clear up the matter for John, but does that clear up the matter for us? Does that really solve our dilemma as we consider that the Lord Jesus' baptism by John seems to us to be improper. We can sympathise with John and his first reaction, that this seems to be improper. It doesn't seem to be fitting for Jesus to be baptised at all. And Jesus' reply 
doesn't seem to really help us. It doesn't seem to give us exactly why Jesus wants to be baptised. But there's different reasons that have been proposed as to what it means when Jesus says, I should be baptised in order to fulfil all righteousness. What are the different things that have been proposed? Well, one is that Christ's baptism certainly righteously authenticates the ministries of both John and Jesus. That when Jesus is baptised, he authenticates the ministry of John the Baptist as a right and valid ministry, and also his ministry is authenticated as right and valid. Now, how does that come about? Is that even a problem? Well, in John chapter 3, which we actually looked at last time, we we were looking at this passage together, in John chapter 3, we see that there were questions raised about John's ministry versus Jesus' ministry. And more people were going over to Jesus and leaving John behind. And what did John say? I must be, he must become greater, I must become less. There were questions raised at the time about whose ministry is authentic ministry, who should be having the most disciples. And we see here that when Jesus is baptised, that he actually authenticates John's ministry. By submitting to John's ministry of baptism... For repentance, he is saying that John is indeed one who is sent by God. John's ministry of telling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is a right and valid ministry. John's ministry of saying that there is one coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire is a right and valid ministry to be proclaiming. And so Jesus is approving of John's ministry by being baptised. He is not in competition with John. No, by being baptised, he is showing that he is in allegiance with John. And vice versa. John is authenticating Jesus' ministry by baptising him. When John baptises Jesus, he is saying, this is someone that I approve of. He wouldn't baptise people that he doesn't approve of, just as in churches today. We don't baptise people that we don't approve of. We don't give that covenant sign to people, but he is giving that sign to Jesus, and so he's authenticating Jesus' ministry. And what does that then mean? That means that John's disciples can freely leave John for Jesus, to follow Jesus. And did they do that? Yes, we actually see that. Look with me at John chapter 1. Turn with me a few pages over, past Luke's, Mark and Luke to John, page 1050, John chapter 1. Verse 35, John chapter 1, verse 35, page 1050, and we read, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Here we see a clear example of people leaving John for Jesus. And one of them is Andrew, Peter's brother. And so we see how by the baptism of Jesus... People are now recognising that John approves of this man. He said many good things about him, but by the baptism, he also authenticates Jesus' ministry. And so he is righteously authenticating. And Jesus is righteously authenticating his ministry as John is authenticating Jesus' ministry. 
But how else is Jesus fulfilling all righteousness by being baptised? Well, some would say that he's showing an approval of baptism itself as a righteous act that God has commanded for God's people. The line goes that if Jesus was baptised, then why shouldn't we be baptised too? This is clearly something that Jesus authenticates as something from God. There's a command that God has given that people be baptised. And so by Jesus submitting to this law, he is showing that baptism is something that God approves. And there are people who have been bewildered about whether they should be baptised or not. They become a Christian and baptism is something that they're trying to wrestle with and do I need to be baptised? And I know even an elder in another church here in Sydney, this is what he says, is he was really wrestling with it and then he saw, if Jesus was baptised, then why am I holding out? I should be baptised too. And then he's gone on to be a godly Christian man who has become an elder of a church here in Sydney. And so some people would say this is one of the things that is being taught. When Jesus says this is to fulfil all righteousness, he's showing an obedience, a submission to the law that should be shown by his people in following with him. But how else is Jesus fulfilling righteousness by his baptism? Well, the big one that people usually identify is that he is identifying with his people, that Jesus is identifying with his people. Jesus has already identified with his people. How? By the incarnation. The Son of God has identified with his people by his incarnation. By becoming a human being, he has showed solidarity with his people. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he, that is the Lord Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Jesus became like his people by taking on human flesh. And here we see another example of Jesus becoming like his people. How? By being baptised. And if this baptism is a baptism of repentance, he is identifying with those people who are his people because of their repentance. Some would say this is a fulfilment, the baptism here. This is one of the ways that the fulfilment of what we read in Isaiah 53, verse 12 before, that he was numbered with the transgressors. When Jesus is baptised, he is numbered with those who are baptised as well as transgressors. And so Jesus is showing solidarity with his people here by being identified as one who was baptised as we are baptised for our transgressions. But how does Christ's water baptism really identify Christ with his people and fulfil all righteousness? I think there's another level that we can go to. I think this idea of identifying with his people is one of the great ways that we see him fulfilling all righteousness by his baptism. But I think there's another way that it it also shows this, that he is identifying with his people. Christ's water baptism, being baptised with water here, is Christ identifying and sharing the sharing that he will make in the punishment that his people deserve for their sin. Christ identified with his people, how? How did he greatly identify with his people? It's by becoming their sin for them, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, and therefore being punished for them. He identifies with his people by taking on human flesh. He identifies with his people by being baptised with water for repentance. But he really identifies with his people by becoming sin for them and being punished on their behalf. And that's what Isaiah 53 teaches so clearly. Isaiah 53, that passage that we read before, verse 4, it says, Surely he took up 
our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ suffered and died on the cross. Why? As a substitute for those who trust in him. For his people. How did Christ identify with his people? By becoming their sin. By becoming the one who was punished on their behalf. Now, how does water baptism show this, though? How does water baptism show that the Lord Jesus is one who identifies with his people by being punished on their behalf? Well, water baptism is a wonderful shadow, a mirror of Christ's sufferings and death. How do we know this? Well, there's a few different ways. One is that suffering and death are a baptism for Christ Jesus. He referred to it as a baptism. Jesus said in, to his disciples in Luke 12, verse 50, But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. This is after he's been baptised with water. He was not distressed from a fear of water. I've had people like that who are really distressed to have a water baptism because they have a fear of water. Jesus is not referring to that. His baptism has already been and gone, the water baptism. What's this baptism that he is speaking about that distresses him greatly? Well, in Mark 10, 38, we get another clue. Mark 10, 38, he says, Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? He links his baptism that he is about to undergo with a cup. And what is the cup? Well, we know in the Old Testament it's clearly taught that there's this cup of God's wrath that is poured out upon evildoers. And that is what Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned about being baptised into suffering. He's concerned about being baptised into death itself. And that causes him great distress. And the Apostle Paul also teaches this, that the baptism of, that water baptism points to the death of the Lord Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3, where the Apostle Paul says, that's page 1116, 1116, or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will, also, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Clear teaching here that baptism is pointing to the death of Christ, the death that we have with Christ Jesus by faith, that we have died with him, we've been crucified with him, and we've been raised with him, just as coming up out of the water, one takes a new breath, and lives again, that is what is being shown. 
here in Romans chapter 6 that we have been raised with Christ and we have eternal life in him now. So when Jesus was baptised with water, what did he do? Well, he identified with the repentance of his people. He identified with his people in the baptism of repentance, but he also was shadowing, mirroring a far greater baptism that Jesus was going to experience for his people. What baptism? Well, Christ's future immersion, which is what baptism means. It means to immerse. He would be immersed into suffering. He'd be immersed into the wrath of God. He would be immersed into death itself. The suffering, the wrath, the death that his people deserve for their sin. What's our water baptism do? As Christians, it points back to our immersion in Christ at the cross many years ago, by faith. What's Christ's water baptism do? It points forward to his future baptism that would take place at the cross where he would be actually immersed, not symbolically immersed, actually immersed in death. Just like our water baptism is a symbol pointing back to our actual immersion in the death of Christ Jesus. Our immersion into the wrath of God so many years ago kind of like the other ordinance that the Lord Jesus has given us. What's that? The Lord's Supper. What happens when we eat the Lord's Supper? Our eating of the Lord's Supper? It points back to the death of Christ Jesus. But think about the Lord Jesus. When he ate the Lord's Supper, what was happening? He was pointing forward to his baptism, uh, to his, his going to the cross, to his death. And so we see with our baptism, it points back, and our eating of the Lord's Supper, it points back. With Christ's baptism, it points forward, and with Christ's eating of the Lord's Supper, it points forward as well. So how then does Christ's baptism fulfill all righteousness? How does his water baptism fulfill all righteousness? Well, it's pointing to the way that Christ would truly fulfill all righteousness for himself and his people. How? By suffering and death. By bearing the punishment that his people deserve, he would be righteously acting in that moment and his people would be declared righteous as well. They would be justified by his actions. Jesus is not one who says, don't worry about sin and does nothing about it. That would be unjust. That would be unrighteous. But Jesus is one who says to us, don't worry about sin. I've justly, righteously dealt with your sin and the consequences of your sin by my suffering, by my death. So what does it then mean that Jesus was baptised to fulfil all righteousness? Well, I think it means a number of things. It means that Jesus was righteously endorsing the ministry of John and that John was righteously endorsing the ministry of Jesus It also means that Jesus was righteously endorsing the command of God to be baptised, and so we too should be baptised if we are his people. But what else does it mean? I think it particularly means that Jesus was pointing to the righteousness that he would achieve by his suffering and death. So was it proper? Was it fitting for Jesus to be baptised? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. 
Why do we need to hear that? Why do we need to hear that it was fitting, that it was righteous for Jesus to be baptised? Because we often think that it is not fitting, that it is not righteous for Jesus to be baptised. We sympathise with John. I've been concerned about preaching on this text for weeks, ever since I knew that we were going back to Matthew chapter 3. It is something that has puzzled me for years. I've heard different ideas, but I haven't dealt with it in any great depth, and I knew that I was going to have to get up and teach and tell you why I think it's proper that Jesus should be baptised. But John is a sympathiser with me that it didn't seem right to him at the time, and so I'm sure you follow in the same trajectory as John, that it just doesn't seem fitting that he should be baptised with water. But what else? If we are to agree that he must be baptised with water, what else must we agree was fitting and proper? Well, we must agree that Christ's baptism in suffering and death was also proper. Why do we need to agree with that? Because that baptism, like his water baptism, often seems improper to us as well. Do you want to know what seems improper to us? The Son of God being betrayed for money. The Son of God being arrested like a criminal. The Son of God being put on trial and then being condemned by sinful men. That doesn't seem fitting. That doesn't seem proper. Do you want to know what else doesn't seem improper to us? The Son of God being humiliated by his own creation, being spat upon, being struck with fists, being mocked, put a purple robe on him, crown of thorns, and bow down to him saying, Hail! And then flogging him. That's not proper. That's not fitting. You want to know what else seems improper to us? The Son of God being put to death. Put to death by men. And what else seems improper? The Son of God not just being put to death, but being tortured to death by crucifixion. One of the most awful ways that you can put a man to death that people wouldn't even speak about. It was meant to be an example to people that you do not want to cross the Romans. You do not want to break their laws. But the Son of God was crucified. You want to know what else seems improper to us? The Son of God, who never sinned, having God's wrath, God's wrath poured out on him. And what else seems improper to us? The Son of God being buried in the ground like a dead animal. But thank God, that Jesus thought it proper not only to be baptised by water, but to be baptised with suffering, to be baptised with the wrath of God, to be baptised to be immersed in death and in the ground in burial. Thank God that Jesus was not dissuaded from water baptism by John, which shadowed his death. But let us really thank God that Jesus was not dissuaded from his baptism into the suffering and death that he experienced by the Apostle Peter. 
John tried to dissuade Jesus from being baptised with water. What did Peter try to do? He tried to dissuade Jesus from being baptised into death and the suffering that he knew he would undergo. Look with me at Matthew chapter 16. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, which is found on page 973. Matthew chapter 16 is a very popular chapter. It speaks so highly of the Apostle Peter, because Peter speaks about the fact that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God, in verse 16. And Jesus says all these wonderful things to Jesus then, uh, to, to Peter then. We read in verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Lovely words here, very popular words. But what do we read in verse 21? After Jesus has been affirmed by the, as the Messiah, what do we read in verse 21? From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then what do we read? Verse 22 Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Sounds like John with the water baptism, doesn't it? This shouldn't happen, this water baptism. Peter's saying, this shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be baptised into suffering and death. This will never happen. You're too good for this, Jesus. But what do we read? Jesus consented? No. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. When you think it's improper for me to suffer and die, you are thinking in terms of the things of men. God thinks it proper that I should be baptized in suffering and death to fulfill all righteousness. And so we need to conform our minds to what is proper and right in God's mind, to the things of God, not the things of men. Why? Well, I'll give you one big reason. If Jesus was not baptised into God's wrath, we would still need to be baptised, immersed in the wrath of God. Without Christ's baptism, what are we? We're unrighteous. We're unrighteous. And what do we deserve? Eternal baptism eternal immersion in hell. But if we trust in Christ Jesus, what are we? We are righteous. He has fulfilled all righteousness for us. We are justified. Justification means declared righteous. We are righteous. And what do we deserve then if we are righteous? Immersion in heaven, not hell. Baptism in heaven, immersion in heaven itself. So we who believe don't think Christ's baptism in water or in death is improper. In fact, we love it. We love it and we glory in Christ's baptisms. We glory in the fact that he suffered and died in our place. And he symbolised that by his water baptism and then he really did it by his death. 
But if you're not a Christian, realise how improper you are by refusing to repent. You're worse than John, and you're worse than Peter. Peter gets hauled over the coals there pretty, the coals there pretty firmly. Get behind me, Satan. But he took the rebuke. John also consented. But if you do not repent, what are you doing? Why are you worse than John and Peter? You're still calling Jesus improper and refusing to consent to having him as your saviour and your Lord. And what's improper then? You're the one who's improper, not Jesus. And what will be proper for you one day? What will be fitting for you one day? It'll be your immersion in hell. May it not be. May it not be. Repent and believe by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that Christ's baptisms were proper and righteous. And then become proper and righteous by faith. Be baptised into Christ's death this morning by trusting in Jesus, by trusting that what he did so many years ago was proper and righteous and that you're the improper one and you need his righteousness to be put to your account by faith. Do it and then rejoice with the rest of God's people that you will never be baptised in hell, but instead that you'll be immersed in heaven. You'll be baptised into heaven itself and rejoice with Jesus for all eternity in the righteousness that he has achieved for us. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you that by your baptisms you have fulfilled all righteousness. We ask that you would forgive us for ever thinking that what you do is improper. And we ask that you would help us, that you would help us to thank you and to glorify you for your righteousness and your love shown to us by your baptisms, and then we would rejoice in it. Oh Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here who has not been baptised into your death by faith, grant them faith now so that they believe that what you did so many years ago was proper. And so they are then baptised into your death and will be raised with you and immersed with us in heaven itself one day. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.